0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you
1: live. Hello, welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Leanne Caldwell. I'm an anchor here at Washington Post Live and also co-author of the early 202 newsletter. Today, we have such a fantastic program with legendary journalist Bob Woodward. He's going to be talking today about his new book, the release of The Trump Tapes. Bob, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. And a reminder to our audience, we want to hear from you. So if you have any questions, please tweet at us at Post Live and we will try to get to those. Now, Bob, you released hours of interviews that you did with former President Donald Trump. And this was for your book. These interviews were conducted for your previous book, Rage. Um, But you decided to release these interviews in full because they feel and seem so much different now even than when they did when you conducted those interviews for that book just a year or two ago so can you talk about what changed between now and then that made you think the public has to hear about this
2: I went back and listened to them earlier this year with my wife Elsa and assistant Claire McMullen and we were just uh, struck- partic- I mean all three of us by the the clarity and power of hearing Trump in his own voice. Uh, he's like a hammer and uh, in a in a very, very distinctive way. And so uh, you know one of the things that's so interesting about journalism is we labor. uh, It's like Madame Curie's laboratory in many ways. Uh, you sift through material looking for something that might be meaningful and uh, you work at it and work at it. And uh, frankly, uh, in listening to it and taking it to my publisher, uh, Simon & Schuster, it was clear we had to put this out because it sheds new light on uh, Trump. Uh, one of the there's a reviewer named uh, Lloyd Green for The Guardian who said, uh, the tapes are a passport to the heart of darkness. I wish I'd come up with that idea and that phrase myself. But it really is you are entering Trump's mind and worldview in a way is not as clear, at least to me, on the printed page as hearing him.
1: Well, let's get some to some of those clips. Um, since, since then, there's been a lot of controversy about Trump uh, having classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. Um, I wanna play a clip of you talking to Donald Trump where he actually is talking to you about some classified documents Let's listen.
0: Listen,
2: those letters. Now, what I need—you
0: did look at them, right, and read them.
2: Listen, read them. I memorized them. About the fantasy film, he said the next meeting's going to be a fantasy film. Would you? Nobody else has them. Okay. I hope that stays.
0: Nobody else has them, but I want you to treat them with respect. I haven't. I understand. I understand. And don't say I gave them to you. Okay. Okay. But I think it's okay. Normally I wouldn't have given. I wasn't going to give them to Bob. You right. know, would you make a photostat of them or something? No,
2: I dictated them into a tape recorder. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> and my assistant. Uh, but put you were
0: them. surprised by them, right?
2: Yes, because I, just, I never saw these There are eleven of them, and uh, it shows an evolving relationship of being tough and he, he wants to get along. with me.
1: Bob, I have so many questions just about this. First, he said, don't say I gave them to you. You know, this was before we knew what we know now. Um, what did you think, first of all, the fact that he gave you access to this?
2: Well, he he was quite proud of this relationship with Kim Jong-un. And he, he actually said to me at one point when I say the CIA says, Uh, that uh, Kim is stupid. Trump says, oh, no, no, he's smart. And I ask, well, why do you believe that? And there is, again, this is the voice where he says, only I know. I'm the only one who knows. And it is this self-confidence that, of course, traumatized his national security team because he's going off building this relationship with One of the thugs of all time, the North Korean leader, Kim Jong-un, and he is, uh, I mean, this was, Kim has uh, nuclear weapons, he uh, hides them, he uh, he does things with them uh, in terms of concealment uh, that really astonished the U.S. intelligence community. And the Secretary of Defense at the time, uh James Mattis slept in his gym clothes because he was worried that Kim might set one of these off, and Mattis would have to get up and decide whether to shoot down a missile that would be heading to the United States. I mean this is one of the hidden chapters trump. Did it all on his own. And I asked, so what are you trying to do with Kim? Get him to the negotiating table? And he says, well, no, you know, uh, it's instinct. Instinct. Now, leaders, all of us have instinct, but you've got to filter it, particularly if you're president in this uh, very, very dangerous situation. So, uh, Trump, uh, when, when he said, don't tell anyone, we agreed. Later on, everything in these conversations is on the record.
1: Hmm. Um, So it's almost an ego thing, like he felt cool or good about the fact that he could build a relationship with authoritarian and that he had access to this, that he was special. Is that where it's coming from?
2: Well, yes, he's President and he believes in his instincts and uh, fo- I mean this is this is the problem. <laughs> you you can't you know, there's a lot of self in the presidency, but you can't just do it yourself. You've got to have other people giving advice and weighing the situation. And Kim Jong Un, very young, inexperienced leader, had these dangerous, dangerous weapons and there were words of uh, harshness between trump and kim jong un that we know about that were public and uh, you know if there had been some sort of war or use of nuclear weapons it would have changed the world i mean we still see kim is footsing around with his nuclear weapons and his missiles and testing Very, very dangerous, and you've got to be careful. Well, what is Trump? Trump is careless.
1: In that tape, he also said that nobody else has them, has seen these. So we know now that Trump took classified documents home with him after the presidency. Do you, since he showed this to you, do you believe that no one else has seen some of these classified documents, whether it's this or other things?
2: Don't know. Obviously, there's an investigation going on. Again, this is the carelessness of taking these documents, which could have revealed sensitive information. There's been reporting that they do. We're going we're to have to see Uh, But uh, again, what is the job of the president? I asked him once and he said, oh, it's to protect the people. That's a very good answer. And you find in this relationship with Kim, the relationship with classified documents that he, if you write, he takes them home and puts them uh, in the basement and the closet, God knows where. And on the coronavirus, this is the matter in which he really not only was uh, conce- concealing and denying what he knew, but it really is, if you go through the whole audiobook, you see his national security advisors warned him. And uh, he, he lied about it to me, he lied about it to the public and said, oh, yeah, the virus is going to go away. He got the kind of warning that from yeah. experts. I mean, imagine, uh, I i think I've covered 16 national security advisors in my life going back to Henry Kissinger. Never heard of someone coming in, in that role and saying to the president, like Robert O'Brien said to Trump, this will be the biggest national security threat to your presidency. Matt Pottinger, the deputy, had been a Wall Street Journal reporter in China for seven years. He knew the Chinese lied and he told this to Trump. And he said, Pottinger said, My expert contacts in China tell, tell me this is going to be like the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic that killed 650,000 people in the United States. We now know it's killed 1.1 million.
1: And, but in these Trump tapes, uh, there's one person that Trump did not lie to about the coronavirus, and that was his son. Can you talk a little bit about that? And is that proof that Trump knew how deadly and major this COVID was going to be.
2: Well, uh, what happened on March 19th, so this is six days after Trump has shut down the United States because of the explosion of the virus, and uh, Trump goes up to see his son Barron, who's in uh, age 13, and Barron uh, And Trump tells me about this and says, Barron says, all of his friends in school, everyone is talking about the virus. What's going on, Dad? And Dad, Donald Trump, the president of the United States, said to Barron, "Well, it came in from China. The Chinese could have stopped it. Uh, now I think no one could have stopped it, but he could have. It could have been contained. And then six weeks later, I learned." And the reporting in detail is in the tapes. Learned from his national security advisors, Robert O'Brien and Matt Pottinger, that uh, on January twenty-eighth, you know, two months before, uh, he has this conversation with Barron. Uh, Trump is told exactly the danger. Trump could have contained it by telling the truth. He did not tell the truth. And if you look at this, uh, to say to his son, the Chinese could have stopped it, but they didn't. because and in that tape, which is in, in the package of uh, Trump tapes, Trump says, well, they kept it so secret. What Trump did is kept it mm. so secret. And failed. and after he got that warning, a week later, at the uh, State of the Union address, the big moment for the president to tell Congress and the American public and the world what's important, what's going on. I mean, just read that. Uh, it's uh, Trump getting up. Oh yeah, we uh, China has this virus, and uh, my, uh, you know. President Xi's taking care of it. We're working. I mean, a total, a total dodge, a total lie. And and this is not just an incidental lie. This is the failure to be the president of the people in this country that he had responded. When I, quite frankly, put it all together and it took me some time because I'm slow and try to be careful on these things. It's shocking. Listen to that, what he told his son. And then as I discovered six weeks later, intensive interviewing at the White House with O'Brien and Pottinger, what they had told the president two months earlier, uh, it it is a level of deceit And in my view, when you put it all together, as my wife Elsa says, you see the crime unfold right before your eyes.
1: So you're saying that lives could have been saved, but also would this, could COVID have been viewed through less of a political lens if he was more open and honest with the country?
2: Yes, I, I think he was concerned, always talking about his reelection and telling me in the summer. Now, this is nine months of interviews while he's the sitting president. He can call me anytime, I can call him anytime. E- extraordinary moment. And he, in July, he said, I asked him about this and about the virus again, and he said, Oh, we have it all under control, under control. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I said, it's, <laughs> it's the opposite. And he said, well, I have 104 days, he means, to the election. He thinks wow. he's going to uh, be reelected by denying the truth. What did he, th- did he think the top secret PDB that people weren't going to find out about it? Uh, He encouraged his national security advisors to talk to me, really made them his agent on this, as you can hear. I'm exercised about this, and uh, this is the man who probably will run in 2024 for the same office which he corrupted more than Richard Nixon corrupted the presidency 50 years ago.
1: Hmm. We are so close to an election eight days away from the midterms. It's not 2024 yet. Donald Trump has not yet announced that he's going to run. But in these tapes, it does reveal his view of how the Republican Party views him and how crucial he is. Let's play that.
2: Can I ask a political question? Sure. And that is, looking at this through the lens of a reporter who wants to look at the whole story, you've changed the Republican Party. You realize
0: that? 95% approval rating. Nobody's ever been at 80. You know, Ronald Reagan was 87 Okay. Here. Is this a movement? No. Uh, uh, that it? I can't tell you. I can tell you. What do you think? It's, it's the what party of strength and common sense. Both. You know, I I, I don't, I don't say, and I'll tell you what, the air will have to be determined, that's to be determined, but, but um, I, okay, as an example, the Republican Party has always been known for disloyalty to each other, okay, they always broke up. I will say this, and this isn't a threat, because it's not a threat, but if they won against me, they all lose their election. Even if they lost 5% of my voters, because nobody has a basis. Oh, yeah,
1: like me. Bob, we're seeing that play out in these midterm elections where people who are still denying the actual results of the 2020 election are could win their races up and down the ballot across the country from coast to coast. Um, you know, Trump knew his hold on the Republican Party. Uh, what does it mean for the Republican Party? And does it also mean that Trump is absolutely going to run again?
2: Well, my reporting shows he's told people, I'm going to run. I'm going to do it. Now, again, uh, we're going to have to see what that is. But let, if, if, As you point out, the midterm elections are eight days away. Trump is not on the ballot officially, but he is right there. He is on the ballot now. He's going to be out campaigning in the uh, next week in uh, what, Iowa, Pennsylvania, going down to Florida to campaign. Uh, He is a presence, and where he says he's not threatening the Republicans uh, if they go against him, he is. Look what he does. He has a 92% success rate with his endorsements over, I think, the last three or four years. So it, it it's quite amazing. He has more of a hold on the Republican Party than Joe Biden has on the Democratic Party.
1: Absolutely. Um, and I would like you to compare your experience and your broad views of politics of this country what is happening now, as far as democracy is concerned, compared to what was happening with Nixon? Of course, everyone knows your reporting helped uh, lead to Nixon's downfall. Is what is happening now more severe? Do you worry about American democracy?
2: i I worry about American democracy. Look what the January sixth House committee has proven it, in my a view. And I think the view of neutral. People weighing the facts and the evidence. There's a lay down case that this uh, was sedition on the part of Donald Trump, but more important uh, or as important to January 6th is Trump does not understand the res- the presidency. You've got a responsibility. You have to protect the people. You have to inform the people. You have to care about the people. And you can't walk away from this. And when he was president, I mean that this is a, a kind of a you know tryout period for years. If he runs and is elected again, he's gonna he knows where the levers of power are. He knows you better appoint people who are full-time absolute loyalists to the key White House positions and cabinet positions. He appointed a lot of people who were experts and independent and would not be pushed around by Trump. Uh, during the first four years, but I think he's learned that lesson, and uh, so we were we're in a, a we should be in a state of anxiety. I say that Trump, what Trump did, he put the presidency in moral free fall. That the whole idea of some responsibility, uh, it was all about him. And when he, when he says that in uh, one of those tapes, uh, I asked whether he gets some advice, uh, some assistance on a law and order speech he gave. He literally says, yeah, I get some ideas, but the ideas are mine. Bob, you want to know something? Everything is mine. Well, everything is not his. Uh, it should not be. And uh, this is the danger. you you better understand the responsibilities that come with being President. And you look at that record and you listen to these tapes, and you see that he he just does not understand. he he can't. He is a prisoner of himself. He Mm. is somebody who can't kind of, uh, you know, 104 days to the election, while 140,000 people have died in his country because of the coronavirus. In part, I'm sure all the experts say they this could have been contained if the information he had was disclosed at the time and he did not and this this is a moral crime you talk I talk about the f- moral freefall of uh, in the Trump presidency it's yeah. it couldn't be more vivid and you get through and it's a lot to listen to and um you will see it, you will see it in his own voice, and you will see it proven.
1: I, I want to ask you something a little off topic. So sure. given Trump's grip on the Republican Party, something that I've thought about for a very long time is after January 6, it seems like there was a moment where the Republican Party could have left Trump behind. But Kevin McCarthy went down to Mar a Lago, and that picture was published of the two smiling and and grasping each other. Was that a pivotal moment? Was did that set Trump's place in the Republican Party even after January sixth?
2: Well, it's an important moment, but it's it didn't decide the, uh, the outcome. Look, these people. I <laughs> I've spent a lot of time talking to Republicans and privately. As I'm sure you know, my former colleague Carl Bernstein did a, a great piece on CNN about this, saying that all these people who say they're for Trump publicly in private know who he is and joke about him. And uh, But boy, when he gets up there, he calls the tune and he leads these people. It's, it's a shame for the Republican party. They don't have the backbone that the Republican party had almost 50 years ago in 1974. when the Republican, uh, the moral leader, the conscience of the Republican party, Senator Barry Goldwater went to Nixon and Nixon knew he was going to be impeached in the house. How will it come out in the Senate and Goldwater in the Oval Office stared down President Nixon and said, Mr. President, I've counted and you have only five votes Mm. in, in the Senate for a Senate trial, and one of them is not mine. The next day, Nixon announced that he was resigning. That was the power of the Republican Party to stand up because they listened to these tapes and seen the criminality and said, we are not going to have it. We are not going to tolerate it. And Nixon voluntarily quit.
1: Hmm. Yeah. So given the status of American politics right now, um, there's a lot of layers here. You have you know, the obsession and the grip that Donald Trump has on the Republican Party. You have the election denialism. You also have a lot of disinformation as well as political violence. We saw that over the weekend with the attack on Paul Pelosi, the husband of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. You know, is Trump to blame for some of for this, for an escalation of political rhetoric that has? That has resulted in violence
2: well he, he look he's contributed to the climate of violence. Play some of the uh, clips where he's up there at his rallies urging people to uh, hit someone and take them out i mean it's it's shocking and uh, so but you can't say he caused this per- particular attack. Uh, I find it very instructive. there somebody said he has laryngitis on the issue of Paul Pelosi and he hasn't said anything yet. I mean they're I mean, uh, an abhorrent act. Uh and you would you would think uh there would be condemnation across the board and Trump is silent again. This is the silence of Donald Trump. We saw when he's up sitting on the bed with his son, Barron, saying, uh, you know, the Chinese could have stopped it when it turns out Donald Trump could have stopped. Can, uh, no one's going to stop it, but contain it just simply by being honest and telling the public the war- about the warning he had received one of the tragic moments in American history.
1: Hmm. Bob, I want to end on a little bit of a lighter note, Um, so profound, but does Trump still call you?
2: No, he he has not called me, uh, and uh, he's not happy I put out these tapes. Uh, He's saying that actually he owns them, uh, we agreed. Everything's on the record. Uh, the whole idea here is there's no corner cutting in these interviews. A lot of people have said, "Oh, you put that in." You put you when my wife Elsa said that I was telling Trump what to do and shouting at him about what experts told me he should do. The virus that's in there. So there's no corner cutting and. Uh, of course, Trump cuts corners all the time, but he did agree this has got to be on the record. This is the full story of uh, this nine, you know, nine months when he would call any time, and the the phone would ring, and we'd wonder, uh, Elsa and I, you know, is it one of our daughters? Is it a friend? Is it a robocall or is it Donald Trump? And he would just at night, or oh, I'm calling to check in. And oh, I can't talk to you very long. He would say, and uh, then he'd talk for 25 minutes. Uh, extraordinary opportunity for a reporter, but as I say in one of my commentaries, uh, that it. Uh, i became entangled and uh my wife elsa became entangled uh in the life she said this was a marriage of during that period three people elsa myself and donald trump
1: (laughs) oh goodness uh
2: (laughs) oh goodness Uh,
1: (laughs) theresa i I don't know if you want to be a part of (laughs) Bob, thank you so much for your time today. We are unfortunately out of time, but a national treasure. And I'm so honored to work with you at The Washington Post and honored to be able to conduct this interview today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.